Today, I want to speak to you on the topic of living a, a beautiful life. In fact, if you have your Bibles, I'll start with some scripture, because then if the rest falls apart, at least we, we heard from God. Uh, so turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 9 to 12. It says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that they accuse you, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Why don't you bow your heads with me and, uh, and let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you that every time we come together and we turn our attention towards your word, that you're saying something. And God, I pray today as we gather together, however that might look, that as we gather around your word, uh, this moment is, is holy and is set apart. I pray that today it wouldn't be my ideas, it wouldn't be my words, but that you would speak directly into hearts and minds today, that, that you would bring encouragement, that you would bring conviction, that ultimately we would leave this experience closer to you than when we started, more sure of your call on our lives, more sure of your love for who we are, more sure of our identity in you. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So I was thinking as I was uh, prepping this message, you know, it's summer, it's beautiful weather, uh, as, as we look towards 2022, what do we want from the year? I think it's safe to say that there were some experiences in 2021 that maybe, you know, you're not so keen to repeat. That's fine. Maybe there are some things from 2021 that are beautiful that you want to take with you into 2022. I think that's great as well. But I think for everyone, as we, as we read the, the words of Peter's here, none of us are disagreeing or wrestling with Peter's call to live a good life. That sounds ideal. Right? There are some things in the Bible that I find hard, but when Peter tells me, hey, live a good life, I'm like, yeah, cool, done, sign me up, I'm all right with that one. But, but I think it's, it's interesting when we think about living good lives, I think that's something that we all want to do, but, but what is a good life? Like, how do we define it? What did, what did Peter mean? You know, I, I titled today, uh, A Beautiful Life, because the, the word used here in the Greek, kaleos, for good, can also be translated beautiful or fine, or shapely, it depicts something that's compelling, something that, that kind of draws your attention towards it, that you can't help but look at. It's like one of those moments when maybe the, the sun starts to set or rise, depending on if you, you know, get up early or, uh, well, not go to bed late because the sun's setting anyway. Sunset, sunrise, that beautiful moment uh, where, where something kind of grabs your attention and, and maybe you're in mid-conversation and the, the, the light just seems to hit the horizon just that right way that it takes your breath away and you're captured in, in, in this moment all of a sudden. You know, I think it's, uh, it's, it's interesting, this idea of a beautiful, compelling life in the context in which, in which Peter's writing. He's writing, First Peter originally is, you know, it's a letter to us because God authored it and intended it, but, but originally the, the context in which Peter is writing is, is to a group of people who were living in a really hard situation. They were living in a, a time and a context in which they were tempted to stop living the good lives that they'd been called to. The, the early church was, was getting a tremendous amount of pushback from the culture around them. The, the early church was considered radically countercultural. That's why he, he says, as foreigners 
and exiles. This is how the early church saw themselves, even in their home nation. Brothers turned against brothers, sisters against sisters, mothers against daughters, fathers against sons. If you considered yourself a Christian, and for so many they were first converts in their family, you were kind of ostracized from the family that you belonged to. Because Christians weren't seen as good citizens of the Roman Empire. And this is for a number of reasons, not the least of which was that the church was multiracial and multi-ethnic in a society in which ethnicity determined value. It was spread across socioeconomic lines. It cared for, for the poor, for those who didn't have much, and those with extra didn't hoard what they had, didn't try and accumulate for themselves, but, but they shared with others. It advocated against infanticide. In a culture in which infant exposure, leaving unwanted babies out in the field for nature just to take its course, often they were actually collected by, by slavers, and, and that was how a lot of the slave trade was established. But, but doing this infant exposure, it was widely uh, practiced, it was widespread, and it was socially acceptable. Even from otherwise very moral people, it was an accepted part of culture. And, and the church had a clear view and a contradictory view of, of human sexuality. It, it saw it a proper expression of, of sexuality, and not as sexuality as a, as a bad thing, but that properly expressed within marriage between one man and one woman, that it wasn't this horrible thing to, to avoid, but, but it was a beautiful thing, that, that humans aren't simply kind of meat machines, but, but that, that there is some intrinsic inherent value in, in who we are, and that needs to be respected and cherished. And this view was radically out of step with, with the moral norms of that culture. And finally, just to top it all off, cherry on top, it rejected the godhood of Caesar. The early church said Jesus is Lord and they didn't bend knee to anyone else. And that, that reluctance, that resistance clashed with Roman culture in a, in a big way. Christians wouldn't go into the, the Roman temples where much of, of business was transacted because they, they didn't want to, to bring worship to anyone but God. And, and so they were rejected by the the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire hated the, the early church. And so one of the things that the Roman Empire did was, you know, when you don't like someone, you want to cast your mind back to the playground, you spread nasty rumors about them, right? You, you say mean things about them. It's obviously never happened to me and isn't any deep scarring. It's fine. We don't need to talk about it. But this is what happened to the early church. Some of the rumors uh, that they spread, some of the things that they said about the early church was, was number one, that they were superstitious, which, which seems funny, but what, what they kind of meant was they, they were superstitious because the early church professed to, to have seen and to, to experience all of these miracles. They talked about Jesus and the miracles that, that, that he uh, conducted in his life. And, and so, you know, they said, if you're doing these miracles, then, then you must be some sort of magicians. You must be some sort of kind of mystics. And, and Jesus is your chief magician. You're superstitious. They said that they were incestuous, which is a pretty, you know, bold claim, you know, to be fair, the early church, they, they called each other brother and sister, which is nice. But then they also, they, the early church, their, their gatherings were called love feasts, um, and which to be fair is, is a weird name. I think we've done well in kind of rebranding away from that. But the Romans put two and two together and said, you call each other brother and sister and you invite each other to your love feasts. You're weird, right? And, and so they, they spread that. And then third and final, just to top it off, they, they said that they were cannibals, right? They, they took the teaching of Jesus, that famous statement of take and eat my body, which is broken for you. And they were like, well, that's proof enough for us. You're cannibals. You're weird. And so they hated the early church. They, they slandered them, but they also, they, they took it further than that. It wasn't just mean words. They wanted them dead. 
being a Christian was, was illegal and, and followers of Jesus were routinely rounded up and, and killed. And so it's into this context that Peter writes this, this letter, which is why the line following, live such good lives, carries a bit of a kick. Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans. Now, Peter's not taking a shot back at the Romans with pagans. Pagans isn't a, a dirty word in this context. It's how the Romans self-identified. Rome, Rome, part of Roman culture was that they had many gods. There was a god for everything. You could choose whichever god you wanted, as long as you didn't infringe on anyone else's ability to choose their gods. It didn't matter what you defined as truth, as long as everyone else had a truth. You know, you do you. Very different from, from now. And, and everyone worshipped their own god. They worshipped the gods of, of money. Of, of sex, of, of work, of romance, of, of entertainment. Again, a very different culture to here and now. Other translations, if that word pagans trips you up, simply says, says neighbors. Live such good lives among your neighbors. Now, when you hear that, you might think of Mrs. Jones down the road, you know, a lovely old lady, and you're like, yeah, I can do that. I can live a good life with Mrs. Jones. That's fine. I'll say hello when I go to work and but a reminder for the original recipients of this letter, that meant the Roman pagans who wanted to kill them. Live such good lives amongst the people who are making your lives hard. See, I'm sure many of them dreamed of, of running away and, and starting a, a Christian community. Have you ever thought about running away? You know, like sometimes life gets a little bit hard. Sometimes someone, you know, at work or at school or in your family criticizes you for your faith, you think, man, this would just be so much easier. Following Jesus would be so much easier if I just didn't have these other people around me distracting me or tempting me or criticizing me. You know, maybe you thought about, I don't know, has anyone ever raised the idea of equipper's land? Like I was just thinking in the current housing market, if we pulled our resources and bought a big bit of land somewhere in the countryside, there's plenty down here in the South Island, you know, not to say there's anyone else already done it. But if we did that and we went out there and we started, you know, like a cult, I mean, a community a community, built some stuff together. Wouldn't, wouldn't that just be, be easier? Wait it out, wait for Jesus to come back. Be simple. Obviously, I'm joking. I hope you, I hope you realize that. No one cuts that out of context. I, I left too big a gap and it, it could get me into some, some trouble. So I want to say for the record, I'm joking. That's not a good idea. But, but I think often we, we do the equivalent, don't we? we? We live in society. We live in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, but, but we wall ourselves off from them. We live amongst our neighbors, but we don't really live good lives with our neighbors. We don't invite our neighbors into our life. Maybe we invite them into some of our life, but, but the church part, the faith part, the, the real, the truest part of who we are, we, we keep that to ourselves. That's a private matter. We'll discuss sports. We'll discuss you know, what we did on the weekend, but we'll leave out Sunday. Or we, we, we just don't engage with them at all. They're the dirty pagans. We don't want to talk to our neighbors. We don't want to talk to our, our workmates. They, you know, they're, they're, too, they're too far gone for us. And so we just entirely withdraw, either walling our entire selves off or walling off the parts of ourselves that we think might, might be rejected by, by those that we live with. We live Lives defined by defense. We live defensive lives. And, and it seems that Peter has this real confidence here. You know, he doesn't say, live such good lives among the pagans. Convince them to agree with you. Live among the pagans, but only once you've argued with them until they've accepted Jesus into their heart. He says, live good lives among your neighbors, among the pagans, acknowledging that they're going to be different, that it might be, be hard. It's almost like he's saying, live on the, 
the offense. Not live offensively, that's kind of the opposite of, of what I'm trying to say, but, but live on the offense, because really, we're so tempted, we will by default live defensively, but the best defense is a, is a good offense, right? So live good lives. He's basically saying we're going to show them what we believe by how we behave. That we wouldn't just talk the talk, but that we would walk the walk. That when we share the love of God in our words, that those that we're sharing the love of God with will have already seen the love of God in our actions. That we would good, live good lives in their midst, among the pagans, among our neighbors. That, that we would preach the gospel, but not just in words, but also in our in our actions. You know, the early church did this and it, it changed the world forever. The church exploded from 120 people hiding in a back room in Jerusalem to the most influential movement in the history of the world. And remember, like I said, the early church was persecuted. It was illegal to have faith. So it wasn't easy to invite a friend to church. You might invite someone along to church and, and maybe they'd come along and they'd come to faith in Jesus and it would be in this incredible, beautiful moment. Or maybe they'd, they'd turn you over to the Roman authorities and, and rather than your friend arriving on their own, they'd have a plus 10 plus 20 centurions coming in to arrest you, to take you to jail, possibly to take you to your death. It, it was a hard environment to live in. The church was underground, often literally. And so it wasn't always a case of, you know, invite someone to church, get them in with, a, oh, we've got great coffee, and, and you know, you can come along to the, this tent or that tent, and, 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 you know, hope that the band comes along and, and entertains them in such a way, and they feel the presence of God, and then the preacher preaches, and, and, and somewhere in the midst, God encounters them, and, and their life has changed. That's an awesome thing that we get, but it wasn't that easy for the early church. So often they had to share the gospel, not, not in a gathering, not in an outreach service, but, but with their lives. The gospel that they got to share was the way in which they lived. Michael Green in his book Evangelism in the Early Church makes the case that at least 80% of evangelism in the early church was done by ordinary Christians, not pastors or influencers or evangelists, but ordinary Christians like you and like me, simply explaining their life to their family and friends, explaining their life to their family and friends, because their family and friends saw them living in a different way and, and asked why. Why do you honor your wife like that? When everyone else treats their, their wives as property, when everyone else is, is unfaithful left, right and center because that's the norm in society, why do you stay dedicated to this person? Why, why do you treat the poor and the powerless like that? They've got nothing to give you. You could take advantage of them and yet you seem to love them. Why when you have more, do you, rather than hoarding it for yourself, do you, do you share it with them? Why are you multicultural, multi-ethnic when we have this belief that, that there are certain ethnicities that are just simply better than others? Why do you reject that? Why do you go against these established cultural norms when it gives you nothing? They would ask these questions because they were drawn by the goodness. Now, I want to be clear, not the perfection. They didn't see these early Christians living perfect lives. I'm sure just like you and me, they still made mistakes. They did things that they, they later on regretted. That's a part of being a human. That's a part of living in this fallen world. It wasn't a perfect life. That's not possible, but it was a good life. It was a beautiful life. Now, let's be honest. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to follow Jesus to do good things. Right? Some, some of the people that I know that do the, the most amazing things in the world, who are, who are the kindest, who, who, who bring the, just beauty into the world, that they don't go to church and they don't believe in God. It, it doesn't take a faith in Jesus to be a good person. And if we say it does, we're kidding ourselves. 
But what Peter goes on to say in chapter 3, after chapter 2, goes beyond normal good. Because, because normal might to be a, be a kind person. Normal might to be, a, be a, a good person. But when someone hurts you, normal is still to want to, to hurt them back. When someone hates you, normal is still to, to hate them back. When someone wrongs you, normal is still to want to, to wrong them back. Maybe to land it in a, a real-life practical example that definitely never happens to me. Normal is when someone cuts you in in traffic. To have some choice words rise up in you. To maybe wave some hands around. To maybe want to throw some hands. Not that we would ever do that as, as peace-loving people. But normal is to have that sort of response rise up in you, right? When someone does you wrong, it's normal to want to get even. That's, that's justice. That's right. That's fair. But Peter says we're to follow Christ's example, to, to live like Jesus. This is what Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Do not be normal. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Imagine when, when Peter writes that front of mind for him is, is Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. When, when someone asks us to go a mile, Jesus says go too. When, when someone asks us for our shirts, Jesus says give them our jackets as well. When someone curses us, Jesus says we bless them back. When someone hates us, Jesus says that we pray for them and we show, we show love. That we would lay down something of ourselves for others. Now if I'm honest, when I hear Jesus saying that, right? Like earlier I was, I'm on board with Peter saying, hey, let's go live good lives. That sounds, yeah, I'm, I'm, that sounds great but lay down my life for others, go an extra mile, give my, my jacket as well as my shirt. When someone curses me, bless them. When someone hates me, pray for them and show them love. I'm honest, that sounds hard. That sounds really hard. Right? Again, maybe I'm alone in this. But when someone wrongs me, my, my immediate reaction isn't always to want to bless them. Other reactions kind of jump to mind first. Other responses jump to mind first. And so when I read this, my, my initial response is like, how? How do we love like Jesus? Because Jesus, it's not really fair that you're telling us to do this. Because Jesus, I don't know if you notice, but you're Jesus. You kind of got a, a bit of a leg up on the rest of us in terms of the whole holy living thing, being the son of God and whatnot. Like, how am I meant to be like you are? It's interesting. Jesus finishes the, the Sermon on the Mount by saying, be perfect as, as God is perfect. Because he's kind of trying to, to let us in on the idea that we can't do this on our own. That this isn't in our own strength, that this isn't something we can simply will ourselves into. Now that doesn't mean it isn't something that we're called to. It just means that it's a call beyond us, that living a good life, that living a beautiful life isn't something you are meant to be able to do on your own. Peter refers to this, you might remember, before Peter tells us what we're called to do, he reminds us of, of who we are. I believe if you, if you want to know what you're called to do, you need to start with an understanding of who you are. If we're trying to do the right thing from the wrong understanding of who we are, we won't make it far. Right? We need to know who we are before we know what to do. And once we know who we are, we'll know what to do. But God is much more concerned with who we are, with our motivations, with the heart. And then from the heart, we express who we are. It's not about doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Because that still is ultimately the wrong thing. It's about the right motivation and the right thing. And so Peter starts with this, this reminder of, 
of who you are. Peter says in, in chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen people. You are a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. See, we might be different, like Peter says. We might be foreigners and exiles. But I'm so encouraged that we are different together, that we are a holy nation, that we are, are a people of God. And so because of that, we can encourage one another. We can support one another. We can pray for one another. Come on, I want to encourage you as we, as we come back into a different season, as gatherings become more and more possible, do not forsake gathering together, as the Bible tells us, because we're encouraged there. You can do church online, and that's amazing. But how are you connecting into, a, into an e-group during the week? How are you connecting with community? How are you encouraging others and being encouraged yourself? Because this is something that we are meant to do together. We are a holy nation. We are a people of God. We are God's special possession. We belong to God. And since we belong to God, we can trust God with who we are. He will look after us. He dresses the flowers. He looks after the sparrows. And so we can trust him with, with what we need and with who we are. He knows more than we do. And so we can put our lives in his hands, knowing that we are special to him, that we are prized to him, that we are priceless to him. And knowing that he has already done the, the biggest thing, that he's already called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That the greatest thing that could ever happen to us, salvation, being able to be in right standing with God, being called into his kingdom has already happened. That we are operating from a position of power, that we are operating from a position of love and authority, that we are not earning anything, but he's already given it to us when we could never earn it. And so because we are a people belonging to God, because we have received grace and love and hope, we can show others grace and love and hope. That it's not in our strength. That if we are called to be a light, that we don't shine on our own. That it's not in our own ability to just pull it together and live such a great life through our own sheer force of will, but, but that we simply reflect the light of God. That, it, that our main task is to be so filled with God's love and joy that it flows out of us to others, that we're not putting anything on, that we're not faking anything, but that it can be compelling, that we can be real, that we can be honest about where we're at, but that God meets us in that honesty and uses it. That we're not called to be a savior, but we are simply called to point the way to the savior, that God uses broken people because there's not any other type, that we can trust him, that we don't need to be perfect, that we can't be perfect, but we can live good, beautiful lives that make others around us ask why. See, because I know who I am, because you know who you are, you know what to do. And if you ever start to forget, you can simply pick up this book and you can find truth in it. You can remind yourself what God says about you. And as you're reminded of what God says about you, you're reminded of what you're called to do. And that's so important because there's going to be criticism. It, it won't always be easy, but it's, it's what we're called to do, to let others know that there is a hope, a future, a purpose, that as Jesus says in, in Acts chapter 1, that we would, we would be his witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That word in the Greek, witness, is the word martis, from which we get the, the word martyr. It's not a coincidence, by the way. It was because in the, the first century, a witness and a martyr were basically the same thing. If you shared your faith, if you were a witness, chances are you would die for it. And while we're fortunate enough to, to not face a literal death for, for sharing our faith, for living a good life, for living a beautiful life, 
chances are there's a death to yourself involved in being a witness. There's, there's a death maybe to your reputation. There's a death maybe to your comfort. Maybe there's a situation in which you could do the wrong thing that would, that would reap you rewards in, in a work environment or something similar, and you choose to, to do something different, to be countercultural like the early church was, to not take advantage of others, to not belittle others, to not gossip, to, to not follow in the pattern that the world might be attempting to establish for you, to say, I am in the world, but I'm not of the world. And in doing so, there might be a death to self in which things get a little bit less comfortable, in which, you know, maybe some opportunities are, are passed by. But there's also life. That we would know that when we lay down our lives, again, following Jesus' example, we find it. That when we attempt to hold on to life, we lose it. But when we give it up, we find life and life more abundantly. See, as I finish, I believe that for some of us here today, this idea of living in a, a society of persecution feels a little bit more personal. There are people in your life who've wronged you, maybe not for your faith, but wronged you nonetheless, who have hurt you, who have offended you. And you're holding on to that, that offense because it seems right, it seems just. It's natural to want revenge. It's natural to want retribution. Maybe God's encouraging you today that the good thing, the beautiful thing to do is to let that go to forgive them, not because they've earned your forgiveness, but because Jesus first forgave us. And since it's been freely given to us, we can freely give it to others. Maybe you're here today, and, and I believe for many of us listening, there's going to be an opportunity this week to be a blessing in our worlds, to live good lives, to live beautiful lives by helping those around us, by living among our neighbors, by not separating ourselves off, not living this, this kind of divided life where, where we keep to ourselves or we keep an aspect of who we are to ourselves, but to love, to reach out. Maybe there's going to be an opportunity to, to bless someone just simply with, with some resource, or maybe it's buying groceries for someone you don't know at the supermarket. Maybe it's helping a neighbor with some yard work, reaching out in some sort of way that's going to feel a little bit awkward but reaching out nonetheless to show love in our actions that when the time comes and looking for that time, but when the time comes to show love in our words, we're bringing a confirmation to what we've already done in our actions. Maybe there's an opportunity to include someone who's being excluded at work or in your family or at school, whatever the situation, to love those on the outskirts who, who you would not benefit from loving, who maybe it would even cost you something, but to bring them in because God loves them. Maybe it looks like lovingly interrupting gossip, correcting a behavior in your own life that, that God's speaking to you now saying, hey, you are lovely, you are amazing. I'm for you, but, but this part of you is not what I'm calling you to be. That we would adjust that. Maybe it's simply encouraging someone, intentionally seeking out someone to bring a kind word to this week, that we wouldn't benefit from it, but, but that in doing so, our actions would show love, that we would live a good that we would live a beautiful life among the pagans so that when we do that, they would be able to glorify God because we led them into a beautiful life themselves, that our good lives, that our beautiful lives would result in others living good and beautiful lives who would result in others living good and beautiful lives, that we would change the society, that we would see New Zealand come to faith in Jesus because that's ultimately what we need. More than anything else, as we go into 2022, what would it look like to dream big, to dream for salvation for your family members, 
to live a good life, to live in a good way that your actions would speak loud and then to meet those actions with words, to let them know when they start to ask why, this is why I do what I do. Not just, oh, yeah, I guess it's a good thing, but no, no, actually, I'm behaving in this way because I have a Lord and a Savior. I'm behaving in this way because I have a faith in Jesus and something in that, something in the love that I receive from him overflows. I can't help but love you. I can't help but live a good and a beautiful life. Church, why don't you bow your heads with me? I'd love to pray. It's been a pleasure. God, I thank you for for this moment as we come together. And I pray as we go from here into our weeks that, that you would give us eyes to see opportunities in which we can love others. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear the, the sounds of, of need in our society, need in our neighbors, where, where we can come and, and, and we can bring a word, we can bring an action. God, I pray that you would give us hearts compelled to, to do something, that we would actively reject apathy, that we would go against that defense mechanism of not caring and we would embrace the, the problems and the troubles in our world knowing that you are the solution and we get to be a part of it. God, I pray as we do that, that we would do it being reminded of who we are from a place of strength, knowing that we are a a royal priesthood, that we are a holy nation, that we are a people belonging to you. And because of that, we would live good, beautiful lives that would make others ask why. Not in our strength, but in yours. God, I pray a blessing over everyone under the sound of my voice, that they would go out in strength and power, equipped to be the change that you've called them to be. In Jesus' name. Amen.